And, and let, me, let me just tell you, I was shocked to read some of the stats that are going on right now in our own country, our own country. Um, look at this. In 19, as we look at some of the things here, church membership is, in the U.S. is on a downward trend. Look at this, 1999. All right, most of us were, who was around in 1990? Most of us were around in 1999, okay? Some of you younger guys, I don't know, 1999 seems like a name. 1999, 70% of Americans said they belonged to a house of worship. All right, you want to know what it was in 1940? It was around the same, around 70-something percent. So for, for um, how, how long is that? 60 years there was around 70% of America that said they belonged to a house of worship. All right, 20 years later, we all lived through those 20 years. Let's go to 2018. 50%. That's a 20% decrease. Just in our short lifetime, um, so uh, 20%. And then now in 2021, how exciting is this? 2021... 2020, there's less Americans who say they go to a house of worship than there is at those who say they don't. So for the first time since they've been doing these studies, we're under the 50% mark. Isn't that exciting? Wow. Where are we going? 20 years from now, when Chalmers 112, what is America going to be like? And look at this chart here, if you want to look at the chart. Now, I'm not just talking Christians. I'm talking any house of worship here. So synagogue, mosque, look at that, 70% all the way through, and now we're down to 47. So for many years, it was stable. Something happened in 2000 that all of a sudden, boom, we're going down, down, down. In 2020, we're down, and it is going down. And it is amazing, and population is going up, and church worship is going down. That's the, that's the trend that we're, we're, we're heading in. It's, it's amazing. Ankeny, um, where I went to teach, when I was there in 1999, there was, there was 27,000 people. Right now, it's 71,000. So in, in 20 years, it's almost tripled. It's, it's one of the fastest growing. Why would people go to Ankeny, Iowa? It's one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. Can you believe that? And out of the 71,000, there are less churches now than there were when I was there. It's amazing. And so if you like Iowa sweet corn, that's the place to go. But it's dying spiritually. The trend, it was amazing. We were praying for the churches in our fellowship in, in Iowa. There were a hundred churches. It got, finally got to a hundred. And, and Iowa was only two point something million. Now it's over three million and it's 95. What's happening? You say, aren't churches getting planted? Yeah, they're getting planted. But guess what? Churches are dying faster than they're getting planted. And so we're living in this, this kind of a world. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at the churches in Revelation and we're going to study these churches out and really ask God to help us not to go down the path that they did. 
If you notice with me in Revelation 2.1, and when you study the churches, we're going to study all seven, Lord willing, in the next seven weeks. As you study the churches in Revelation, you'll notice how it begins with to the angel or to the messenger, then a description of Christ, and then later on the uh, what, what he thinks is good about the church, and then he tells them what's not good about the church, and then he tells them how to correct what's not good about the church, and then he goes into a reward. I kind of like what he does in these churches because he kind of makes them feel good about themselves in the beginning and then whop, he well, he nails them. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you're just so, you're a wonderful, wonderful church. You love, you love this, you love that, you love this, but this is wrong with you. By the way, that's a good way to rebuke somebody. Say, can I talk to you for a moment? I just like how you do this and this and this and this and they're sitting up on their chair thinking, wow, he really like, but... I got something about you. It's kind of a good way to go in it, but look look what he does here. Let's watch this in Revelation chapter 2. He says this, to the angel, he's talking to the messenger, to the angel, the one that is in charge, the human messenger here, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is an interesting city because it, it was one of, the, one of the greatest cities at that time there. It was politically called the light of Asia. It was kind of like where people would have to go through Ellis Island, New York City, kind of a thing where they would have to go through it. And it was a population of 500,000. This is the city I would go live in. 500,000 people. And it was the light. Everyone had to go there politically. You had to go pass through there commercially. It was known as the, the Vanity Fair. It had a theater of 25,000. This is where the New York Giants would play. Amen. All right. Yeah, a theater of 25,000. I mean, people wanted to see the Giants, the Raiders. I don't know if they would make it there, but the, but the Giants, they would go there. See, you messed with me, now I'm going to mess back. But you got the Vanity Fair of the ancient world. Commercially, they would have all kinds of things. Parades and sporting events. And this is the place you wanted to go. And not only that, religiously, it was the city center of religious fertility. Look at this, the goddess Diana. Now listen to this. In the Greek, it's Artemis, but Diana to the Romans, where they would have thousands of priests and women priests and prostitutes. And one man of the, of the city said this. He said, the citizens were only fit to be drowned. They didn't even be, they're not fit to even exist, he said. They should all die because this city is so wicked. No one wants to live there. He was ashamed to even live there. So this is the city. Imagine being in a city like that. Here they are politically, commercially, religiously. But here's what's amazing. With all the trading, with all the paganism, Paul grabs two Italians, amen, Aquila and Priscilla. And he says, we're going to go after this city. And he preaches the gospel. And guess what happens? People get saved and the church is started. So even in the midst of all the paganism and all the, all the things that they were doing, the entertainment and all the things, the gospel triumphs. And that's what I love about the gospel. We preach the gospel, guess what? People will get saved. And Paul goes in there and believes in the gospel and starts a church there. This is amazing. And they had wonderful leaders over the years. They had Timothy. They had the apostle John that wrote this letter here. And they had different people throughout the years, but even though they had these leaders, they still missed it. Let's look at the church. 
It says to, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, and here's a description of, of Jesus Christ. He's the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. He's the one that is in control of the leadership of the church. The seven stars are the seven angels, the seven leaders. And what he's saying is, I got a hold of the leadership. They're in my hand. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to protect them. They, they are accountable to me. They are not not getting out of this hand, by the way. It's an interesting word he uses here. The grass. He's not letting go. He has a hold of them, which is a great, wonderful truth. But look at this. He's the one walking among the seven golden lampstands of the seven churches. So you say, where is Jesus? He's walking amidst the churches. Wow. And he knows what you're thinking right now. Well, how long is he going to go, you know? You know what I mean? I can't wait to get out of here. I got I to gotta get out of here, you know? He knows what we're doing. He knows not only the thoughts of our mind, he is involved. He cares about churches. And here's what's amazing. This is a great assurance that Jesus is involved. He's not just saying, go ahead and figure it out. I'm walking in the midst of them. I'm involved in them. And there's great accountability. We better watch out what we're doing here. Because he knows. He cares. And he's there. He's the one that has the leadership. He's the one that's walking. And here's what he says about this church. What a church. I mean, this is an amazing church. Look at this description of the church here. They're a working church. Notice the verse, what it says. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. This is a church that would work for the Lord and do things for God physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It drains you. This week, by God's grace, I got, I got to teach 25 hours. It drained me. It drained the students, too. Forget about them. But it drained me. I run out of jokes by Wednesday. All right? I had, I had them going Monday and Tuesday. But come Wednesday, I'm like, did I tell you that joke? Did I tell you this joke? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't even say jokes anymore. I mean, you run out of them quick. But yet, it's draining when you serve the Lord. And look at what it says here. I know your deeds and your toil and your what? Your perseverance. They just kept doing it. There, there, there's some people who start out on fire for God and they, they, they want to work for the Lord, but then they just fizzle out. No, no, not these people. They, they start out on fire. They wanted to work for the Lord and they just kept working, even though it got hard. I remember one time we had a leader and, and they wrote me a letter and says, I'm out of here. You prayed for a hurting church. I didn't. Goodbye. It got hard for them to lead. But not this church. Their deeds, their toil, they were spent physically, emotionally, spiritually, but they kept serving the Lord. Look at this. They were doctrinally sound church. How about this one? You cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. In other words, what it's saying is they had sound doctrine. They did not put up with, with false doctrine. And people who said they had right doctrine, they put them to the test. Well, how do you do that? Well, you better know your stuff. Somebody comes in here and starts preaching a different Jesus. What do we do? We put them to the test. They better preach the right Jesus. Somebody preaches a false gospel. What do we do? We put them to the test. They better preach a right gospel. And here, they knew it. They could not tolerate evil men. But let me just tell you, nowadays, you know what churches are doing? 
They're saying, you know what? We really don't want to be known as bigots and all this. So we need to tolerate the false teaching of the world. And you don't believe in Jesus? That's okay. You can be in our pulpit. Preach whatever you want. And you believe a different way to heaven? Well, come on. You can preach whatever you want. And they want to reconcile the world with the Bible. And you can't do that. This church? Oh, you don't mess with their doctrinal statement. They had a doctrinal statement. You needed to follow it. I remember one guy came in here one time and he said, you know what? You change the doctrinal statement and I'll join your church. I says, oh, really? I go, what do you want me to change? And he named three things. And so we met. I said, okay, you want us to change the doctrinal statement? Can you show me in the Bible where the doctrinal statement is wrong? And he looked at me. You know what his answer was? You're the doctor. You know the Bible. I said, no, wait, wait, wait. You want us to change the doctrinal statement. Please show me where we need to change it. I'm open. Let me know. He had no answer. This church right here, they could not tolerate it. They would not say, you know what? They were doctrinally sound. In fact, there were some people called the Nicolaitans. We don't even know exactly what they believed. There's different views on who they were. But guess what it says? Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Guess what Jesus does? He hates false doctrine. He hates those who teach false doctrine. He stands against false doctrine. And so do they. Wow, a doctrinally sound church. Boy, sign me up so far. They're a working church. They're a doctrinally sound church. But notice what else they are. Watch this in the passage. They're a tenacious church. They ain't giving up. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. Now, don't miss this. They're living in a society that if they don't bow the knee to a false emperor... If they don't bow the knee to the culture, they lost their jobs and lost their lives. They were a persecuted church, but look what he says. You just kept going on. You didn't stop and you endured for whose name's sake? For my name's sake. We love the name Jesus, but the moment they would say, I identify with Jesus, everything changed. What a church. They don't give up. They just keep going no matter how the pressure is, no matter what's going on, the physical violence, whatever it is, they don't give up. And they want to they honor the Lord's name. Sign me up. I want to be part of this. They're a working church. They're a doctrinally sound church. They're a tenacious church. Look what one guy said years ago. He says, these remarkable characteristics are sorely needed in the church today where too often failure to serve the Lord patiently and the tendency is to compromise both with moral and theological what? Evil. This is what's happening in America today. Instead of serving the Lord patiently and taking the stand for doctrine like God would want us to do, what are we doing? We're compromising both morally and theologically. We're changing what the scriptures say. Not this church. What a church. Who wouldn't want to be a part of this church? But look what happens. It says it right here. But there's a problem. What's the problem? I have this against you. What did they do? We all know the passage. This is amazing. They left your first love. Now, now let me tell you something. This doesn't happen all overnight. Nobody wakes up and says, Jesus, 
I don't love you anymore. I'm done with you. I'm going on doing something else with my life. It doesn't happen that way. You want to know how it happens? It happens when all of a sudden we say, Jesus, I want to serve you. And then things come into our lives that we just can't explain. And all of a sudden our health is not what it once was. And we say, Jesus, are you there? And all of a sudden we lose somebody that's precious to us. And we say, Jesus, are you there? And all of a sudden maybe a job is gone or, or, or that person in your life or trials come that we have no questions. Let me tell you something. When things that are hard come into our lives, it's hard to wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I love you. I want to serve you with all my heart, soul, and mind. And so little by little, these things come into our lives and little by little, we start to drift away and, and different things come into our lives and all of a sudden, we find ourselves leaving the first thing that the Lord wants us to do. And we don't love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. You remember when the lawyer came up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? If I could, if I could summarize the whole Old Testament, somebody said, I, I don't know what the Old Testament's about. I could summarize it in two, two sentences. Here it is. You ought to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. There's the cliff notes, amen? Now you read it. He's like, that's what it's all about. And yet they missed it. And you say, how does that happen? Well, well, let me show you something here. How do you know if you've left your first love? Here's, here's some sure signs that we're leaving our first love. And these are convicting. Your soul does not long for times of rich fellowship in God's word and prayer. You get up in the morning and you say, you know what? I'm fine without reading the Bible. I'm fine without praying. I don't, ha I don't want that fellowship. You may have left your first love. Here's another sign that we left our first love. You tolerate certain sins that used to really bother you. Now all of a sudden, those sins are in our lives. And you know what? They don't bother me anymore. I'm just a human. I just sin. Who cares? Look at the next one. You rarely share the gospel. Christ in the gospel. No, I don't want to share him. I don't, I don't care about that. Look at this. You don't cheerfully give to God's work in others. All of a sudden, my first love is starting to go away. And notice number five here, you become complacent towards other believers. I don't need the church. I don't need other believers. I'm better off without them. Little by little, trials come into our lives. Questions we can't answer. And all of a sudden, time in God's Bible and time in God's word, this is not as precious anymore. All of a sudden, those sins that we hated, all of a sudden, they're not so bad. All of a sudden, that passion for the gospel, we don't have it anymore. All of a sudden, instead of wanting to give to God's work and help people, we don't want to do that anymore. All of a sudden, being with God's people, we don't want to do that anymore. And little by little, we move away from the thing that's most important, loving Him. Here's what happens. We leave our first love when we substitute labor for love, deeds for devotion, serving for sitting. Where we're quick to serve the Lord, but we're slow to spend time with Him. That scares me as a pastor. We've had, we've had people do that, say, oh, sign me up, I'll do that. Well, how's your devotional life? Well, I may read it once in a blue moon, but, but sign me up, I'll serve. I'll do this and I'll do that. No, no, no. 
Be very careful. We're quick to serve. We're slow to sit. We're quick to labor. We're slow to love. They've missed it. Here's this church going and doing and doing and doing. And nothing's stopping them, boy. They're going to do. And if you have bad doctrine, get out of here. We're not going to put up with that. We're going to deal with everything. But love, spending time with Jesus, having that passion for him, that enthusiasm for him. And you see, that's what he wants. He wants that devotion. He wants that time. Yeah, he's thankful for the labor, but he wants the love. He's thankful for the deeds, but he wants the devotion. He's thankful for the serving, but he wants you to sit and learn. You say, how do I get back to it? Well, here, right in this passage, he tells us. He says, remember from when, where you have fallen. And this is in the present tense, so we are to keep remembering this. Never forget what he's saying here. What it was like when you first accepted Christ and you had that passion and love and you were overwhelmed by that love. I remember when I, I was, when I first accepted, I, I just, I go back to some of the things I used to do. I pulled priests out of churches. And I said, what do you believe? And the priest is like, what are you talking about? I, I used to be an altar boy. What do you believe? And I would be, bam, I would get him with the gospel. I would go into bars and preach Christ. He said, like, now, now I go in, no, I'm kidding. I would go into bars. You look at me. And go after him. I was with a missionary. He's like, did you know you just walked into a bar? I go, yeah. They need Jesus. The passion there, being overwhelmed with his love. When I first got saved, I couldn't believe that someone would love me the way he does. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Remember, what was it in your life that stopped that? What was it? Was it a person? Was it a job? Was it a habit? What was it that, that came into your life and all of a sudden you don't have that passion for God anymore? What is it that's stopping that devotional life, that time, that rich time with fellowship with God? What is it? Remember where it is. And then notice what he says here. The next thing to do, change it. Repent. If it's a person that's stopping you from that, it's time to say goodbye. If it's a habit that's stopping, it's time to repent and say goodbye to that habit. Whatever it may be, it's time to give that up and, and go on and get back to where we were when we had passion for Christ. And then he says this, and do the deeds you did at first. Return, get back to that time. My friend Dale that passed away, his life was up and down. I remember there'd be times I'd be preaching and he was out like a light. He's not the first, he's not the last, but he was out like a light. I mean, just gone, sleeping the whole time, dead, out of it. And then at 60-something years old, he had a heart attack. And God got a hold of him. He was on fire for God towards the end. He would get up and read the Bible. He would get up and study the scriptures. He would study all kinds of things. He, it was amazing. Then he retired. He had more time. He was studying the word study. He was on fire for God. God brought him back. He took a heart attack. But God brought him back. Notice this here. 
He says, whatever you need to do, get back to what you did at first or else, look at this, I am coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. You know what's going to happen to the church in America? We may not see it. Maybe we will. It's going quicker than we would like. There's going to come a time when people are just going through the motions and they're not singing. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And they're just going through the motions and going through the motions. It's just going to come a time when God says, it's over. No more. You go through the motions, go through the motions, do it all you want, but it's gone. You look at all these countries that had incredible Bible preaching churches with amazing Bible preachers. They'd get there and they're gone. They're gone. And he says, you know what? If we don't wake up, if we don't understand what really matters to God, one day it'll be gone. It'll be gone. And so here's what he says. Look at this. Verse 7. He who has an ear, anybody have an ear here? All right, let him hear. Watch this. <clears throat> to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat out of what? This is unhindered fellowship with God. You know what heaven's going to be like? We're going to have unhindered fellowship with God. But here's what he's saying. Don't wait until you get to heaven to do that. Do it now. Do it now. Remove those things that you need to remove. And do it now. Get back to the first step. Do it now. Katie and I, when we first got married, we put things together. That did not help our marriage, by the way. Because she was a lot smarter than I was when it came to putting things together. And I would try to do things and they never came out. And my pride, I'm like, leave me alone. I'll do it. I'll do it. So we put this thing together. I forget. It had like 20 or 30 steps. Back then when you had papers, remember that? You'd roll out all the steps and all the steps were there. And we were going through it and through it and through it and through it. We get to like step 28 or 29. I forget what number it was. And we look at it. Something's wrong. And of course, whose fault was it? Hers, right? Amen? No. Something's wrong. You know what we did? We missed the first step. We put the thing together, but we forgot to do the very first step that was on there. To put two, two sides together, whatever it was. We had to go all the way back. Oh, my, I was so mad. My vein went all the way back. Of course, it was her fault. It was my fault. All the way back to the first step. And then put it together the way it should have been put together. Sometimes we get all the way to the 28th, 29th step and we've missed the first thing. The first thing is loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. The first thing is having that devotional life and sitting before God in that rich fellowship. The first thing is making sure that everything inside of us loves Him. And then after that, the service flows. We're so quick to come and serve Him. We're so quick to stand for Him and beat people up with the Bible. We're so quick to just keep on going and nobody's going to stop us.
But how quick are we are to get up, open up his word and just spend time with him? How quick are we to listen to sermons? How quick are we to listen to godly music? How quick are we to go to him in prayer? How quick are we to spend time with him? You see, when we have a deacon or elder that wants to come on, we ask him a very tough question, and here it is. How is your devotional life? Because if they're missing that, they're missing everything. But I'll tell you this, it's easier to get up in the morning and study for a sermon than it is to sit there at Jesus' feet and allow to have unhindered fellowship with him. It's easier to get up and get in the car and go to work than it is to spend time with him in prayer and read the word. It's easier to come to church and listen to a sermon than it is to open up the Bible and speak to him one-on-one. Don't miss what is the most important thing for him. And if it, whatever it was that stopped that, repent, get back, and have that fellowship with him again. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you so much for the lessons we can learn from this church. And Lord, we, we admit freely how easy it is for us to serve, how hard it is for us to sit and have fellowship with you and to love you with our whole heart, soul, and mind. Lord, help us not to be a church that substitutes deeds for devotion, love for labor, sitting for serving. We want to be a church that comes before you and have that fellowship with you each day and really love you with everything inside of us because out of that, Lord, we will go after people with the gospel. We will, Lord, want to be around your people. We will want to give because it starts with a relationship with you. And Father, when we think of heaven one day, Lord, that's what it's going to be about. That unhindered fellowship with you. That access to your throne, to your presence. To be with Jesus forever and ever. Oh, how we look for that. But Lord, help us not to wait. Help us, Lord, to start doing that right now. Help us to search our hearts. And help us to make the changes that you want us to make so that we can draw closer to you, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.